Good morning. It is good to see you. You know, this series, Love Handles, has been pretty powerful. Would you agree? Yeah. The conversations that we've been trying to have and the discussion that we've been trying to have has been pretty challenging to, to pull on and stretch some of, the, some of the tendencies that maybe we have as a church. And while we haven't said it this way, it's really a, it's a calling for us as a church to not only create a safe, safe space where people can belong, but a brave space where the church can begin to speak into some of these dynamics in the world that we're a part of. You know, we've looked at uh, brokenness a bit, right? We talked a bit about sexuality. Last week, it was so good to have the panel on racism and discuss how prejudice and racism has shown up. And I'm reminded this morning of the, uh, the old rock song, right? You never mentioned the words addiction in certain company. And it's like, are we really going to talk about addiction today at church? And we are. You know, addiction is one of these conversations that it's pretty uncomfortable. Most of us try and hide our addiction or our dependency at least. And we, it, we find it difficult to even admit that maybe we struggle with an addiction. We reached out to the pavilion in town to kind of get a feel for what are the things that we're challenged by? What are the, what are the substances that seem to grab hold of our community. The top three substances of abuse in our community are alcohol, meth, and heroin. But you know, you can be addicted to a lot of different things. Not just substances, but certain behaviors and relationships can even press us towards addictions. I mean, we could talk today about tobacco or painkillers or all sorts of substances. We could, we could talk about porn. We could talk about gambling. We could talk about shopping. We could talk about all sorts of behavioral addictions. But no matter how we approach it, as uncomfortable as it may be, it is a conversation that the church needs to have. So let's take a moment. I mean, we could shatter you with all sorts of statistics, but let's just take one addiction this morning. Let's start with the addiction of porn. Can we talk about that for a moment? Do you know 12% of all the internet sites are pornographic in nature? 12%. Hmm. 25% of all online search engines requests are related to sex. How many is that, you ask? Thank you for asking. 68 million requests per day. Wow. The larger consu largest consumer group of internet porn is men, ages 35 to 49. My peer group. You know, back in the day, we used to think that porn was just a, a guy issue, right? Did you know that one out of every three users of porn are female? The female. Do you know the average age of the first exposure to internet porn is age 11? I get parents who ask me all the time, hey, when, when should I give my kid a smartphone? I'm just going to tell you, my kids are in counseling because of this. But until my boys were 14 years of age, they all wore the badge called flip phone. And they have the scars to show it. You know, the teacher would say, everybody turn in, your, turn in your phones before the test. And they'd do the walk of shame because 
There's folded up. Truth of the matter is, though, porn doesn't just also come on your phone. You can get it a lot of different places. You know, we're addicted to so much as a culture these days. We laugh and we joke, and the truth is that we, we can pretty much admit that many of us are addicted or at least somewhat dependent on something other than what really matters in our life, which is God. Let me, let me give you an example. In case, in case addiction does not seem to connect to you, let me give you an example of a dependency, maybe an addiction that you might identify with. Watch this video. I'm glad you're laughing about that. Some of you have a nervous laugh, like, I'm glad they didn't catch me with my cell phone, right? You know? I mean, we have this lovely feature called screen time now that will tell you how much you are on your phone. Isn't it wonderful to go out on a date with your spouse and look at the other table and what they're doing is this? It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Remember when you used to say you loved somebody and just looking at them was enough, right? But we find a dependency on these devices now. And some, we have an addiction. When we use the term addiction, here's what we're going to define today. Here's what we're talking about. Addiction is a persistent compulsive dependence on a behavior or a substance to such an extent that its cessation causes trauma. Or in poor man's terms, maybe we'd say it this way. It's a behavior or substance that you want to stop or know you should stop, but you can't seem to stop. I think all of us struggle with some different areas of our lives that just seem to be running our life more than us running it, right? The Apostle Paul, he began to even confront this kind of scenario of how we battle internally between who God has created us to be, who we're supposed to be before God, and then the decisions and, and life choices that we make. And Romans says it this way in chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. That verse speaks so deeply to addiction. And maybe there's a substance, maybe there's a behavior, maybe there's a life choice that you keep finding yourself submitting to over and over and over again. And you've never used the word addiction, but maybe today is the day that we have to begin to confront. Is it really an addiction? Now, Interchangeably, people often use the terms addiction and dependency, and they're really different. You can uh, be dependent or have a dependency and not be addicted, but if you are addicted, you clearly have a dependency, and dependencies have the potential to always become addictions. So maybe this is a, a message today for just some caution, some conversation to just begin to look into our own lives a little bit. And let me just say this, by no means am I a psychologist or am I a doctor, I am your pastor. And so the way we're gonna speak to addiction today is about who we've been created to be before God. 
But the reality is many of us create cycles in our lives that we get stuck in and we can't seem to get out. And so maybe if you have an addiction towards, let's just say alcohol, it didn't start as an addiction. Maybe it started out, you you had a stressor that came into your life, right? And so you decided to have a drink, but you got caught in a series of rough days, rough relationships. And so every day became an opportunity for you to have a drink, right? And suddenly a day became a week and a week became a month. And before you knew it, you, you started finding friends that would begin to celebrate uh, their journey or blow off steam on the weekends. And you would prioritize your weekend that you would go and have a few drinks with the guys or the gals or the friends or whatever. And before you know it, it began to build and build and build. And suddenly, suddenly something that wasn't in control of your life is now dominating your thinking and dominating your schedule, and dominating your relationships, and dominating your priorities. Now, what if we could find freedom from that? What if we could step away from those kind of scenarios? I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter 5, and we're going to look at just a conversation of, of Jesus confronting somebody who's stuck in their life. And while this is not going to address everything, the battle of this addiction begins to challenge us in our own personal identity. Why am I not enough? Why do I need this? Why is it this issue, this thing keeps driving me back to a pattern, to a cycle, to a a priority that I don't want in my life? And so we need to confront the dependency that's been around us. For many of us, if pressed in on we would have to admit that there is a dependency that at least has our attention. And for some of us, we'd have to confess that there's an addiction that has derailed who God has created us to be. Now, in John chapter 5, there's a a man that's in this story. He's been laying by a pool for 38 years. And so what we understand about this is the pool that they were gathered at was actually a a pool that seemed to have some healing qualities about it. And so literally, when the waters would stir up, the first one in would oftentimes get healing. But for 38 years, this man has laid by the pool and has not gotten the healing that he has desired. Jesus comes to that pool, sees that man, and this is the beginning of our conversation in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now we're going to pause there for a second. I think it's fair to say that any of us that battle addiction on any level or dependency There's no doubt we want that taken from us. But the core of the question is not just do you want fixed or changed, but do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? I love this about Jesus because this is why I love Jesus as God, because Jesus as a God is relational in and of himself. He's he's reaching out and speaking to people in their condition, in their own scenario. But Jesus does not force himself on anyone. He's not a puppeteer. He doesn't force people to come in. I mean, if if I was the son of God, and I'm not, obviously, right? But if I walked into a room and saw people who were sick or hurt or healing or need, need of healing, I'd be like, let's, uh, on him, on her, on them, on the, you know, I would, I would just kind of, you know, it's like a to-do list. I would be like, let's just make it happen, right? Okay, maybe you're not feeling that. But I, when I see that passage, I, I, 
I think that's who I would be if I was Jesus. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus knows the struggle, knows the scenario, and begins to say, do you, do, do, do you want to get well? Now, I'm going to speak to this a little bit out of my own journey, and I pray that you'll forgive me for sharing this for this moment, but I, I'm going to talk to you about what I've been through because this passage speaks to my journey and my own, my own struggle towards health. Seven months ago, I uh, began a very public journey towards health, right? Some of you have been extremely encouraging. Some of you have asked questions, and I, you're more than welcome to approach me. I'm, I'm glad to share it. But I, um, in the last seven months, have lost 81 pounds and find myself battling my health. No, I appreciate that. And, and it's worth clapping, but I, I'm not done, okay? And while I am significantly smaller than who I was, I'm not, I'm not well yet. I'm healthier but I'm not well yet. I've gone through a journey because of a sabbatical that the elders encouraged me to take, to take some time and begin to kind of reset my life. And when I did, I didn't just understand my own sickness and my own struggle, but for the first time, I began to hear God differently in my life, I began to confront some things, and I began to think through some scenarios that had happened in my life. And one of the things that I've always struggled in my life is the approval of people. Am I going to be the person that you want me to be? And so at a young age, I found myself, you know, either competing or trying to get ahead or trying to find my identity on how people responded to me when I entered the room or I would hang out with people. And I remember the first time that I began to battle my self-image, my body image about who I was. And it, it was a clear line in the sand. I remember it clearly. My grandfather had pulled my mom aside and I was 10 years old. He told her that I was fat and I needed to get myself under control. So she, he bought me these meal supplements and left them as a gift to our house. That's difficult. That's difficult. Because I didn't only hear that I was overweight. I heard that my grandpa doesn't think I'm enough. Fast forward to being an adult, you'd think you'd grow out of it, but you don't. Five years ago, I have a cardiac experience, and I'm in the hospital, and I'm trying to figure out how to fix my life, and they give me some meds. They give me, and I wish, I wish I would have been the person that said, okay, we are going to make a change today, but I, I don't think I was interested in getting well. I mean, I build a persona out of being a big guy, right? That's why my nickname is Big Daddy Shaft, you know, and I don't know what we're going to call me now. I mean, Slim Shady? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. That's probably, probably too far. I'm just a little vulnerable up here, okay? A little vulnerable up here. Four years ago, I had the privilege of coming off stage and had one of our congregants at the time come up to me, and she, ha she, had, a, she had a drink supplement, and I'm sure she meant well. I'm sure she wanted health for me, but we had never had a conversation about my weight, really. And I know that deep down inside, what she hoped was that I would take it, and miraculously, I would get thin, and then I would buy it, and I would be a public example. That hurt. It was a hard day. Three years ago, I met a friend who's lost over 100 pounds, and over the last three years, he's kept it off. 
And he and I have been on this journey together, and it's been interesting because we've taken different approaches. I've gone through a procedure so that I could lose weight, so I could reset my life, so I could change who I am physically and be healthier. But in that friendship, I began to realize that there are some things that had gotten way out of control in my life, and one is my identity. That's why we've done this love series, love handle series, not because of my identity goof up, but because we all struggle with our identity. Our identity is not our brokenness. It's not our sexuality. It's not the color of our skin. And it's not our addiction. We are created to bear the image of God. And so for the last few years, I began to confront some things, but it was the question that my doctor asked me. When he leaned into me and I began this journey of trying to figure out, is it medicine? Is it schedule? Is it change? What are all the things that I need to change about myself? And he just asked this question. Are you addicted to food? I wasn't offended. I mean, it's the obvious question, right? But I grew up poor as a pastor's kid. And oftentimes when you hang out with pastors, you go and have a meal together. And so the expression of my family of belonging and connection was often found around a table because that's all we had to celebrate life. We weren't taking trips to here and there. We weren't buying this or that. We were eating with people who we called friends, and that's where we belonged. And I've grown up to be a 48-year-old man who loves to sit at a table with people and belong. Let's go back to our passage. Verse 7 says this. Jesus says, Sir, or Sir, the man says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, I'll get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, get this picture for a moment. 38 years, this man is coming to the same pool. People are apparently bringing him there, laying him there. And when the water does stir up and things do change, he's not able to get in. He's not able to get the healing that he needs. Now, just think about this for a moment. I mean, just think about some of you on Sunday morning, right? Some of you sit in the same spots every time you're here, right? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, yeah. And when you're not there, I recognize, right, you know? And you sit in your spot, and you have somewhat of an identity with the people around you. Not like your season ticket holders, but you know usually the people that are around you. And if there's new people, and you kind of, some of you are laughing. That's a little too close to home, isn't it, right? And heaven forbid we have a guest that shows up and takes your spot. Whoo, man, that's a bad day, right? It's a good day. It's a good day. Get a new perspective, a new spot. You understand where you sit and what it means to you. Imagine for 38 years every day going to a pool hoping to find healing. And he's stuck. He's stuck. Jesus says, get up. Pick up your mat. And he's cured. He's healed. He's given back the ability to walk. And so he begins to leave. But what happens if you start reading through the next three verses? A group of religious leaders decide to say, but it's the Sabbath. You can't do this on the Sabbath. God can't heal people on the Sabbath. What's going on? Who's the person that did that? We need to get whoever is healing people in Jesus's name or in God's name, I guess I should say, uh, who's healing him. And we need to stop this kind of nonsense, right? 
See how backwards that is? Someone who's been stuck is now standing upright in who they were created to be. Someone who has a chance to get well could maybe be whole again. So Jesus goes to actually look for this man. Here's what it says in verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. The next few verses are weird. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So let's pause for a second. We have a man stuck in a cycle. His identity is built on sitting next to the pool. He can't get there. He can't fix it. He can't change it. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps into his life and says, do you want to get well? He's not asking, do you want me to take what away from you simply of what, what may be holding you back? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get whole? The man begins to say, but my identity is this. This is who I am. I'm stuck and nobody else is here. Nobody else can help me. Nobody else can fix it. And Jesus begins to speak to something that I think is a little bit confusing. Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now I want you to think about well, what is Jesus trying to say there? Some of you may be saying, Oh, well, it's karma, right? This is what, what goes around, comes around. You know, he needs to keep his act right so, the, you know, the forces, the fates don't go after him. Hashtag karma's not Christian, okay? Karma's not Christian. It's not, it's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Jesus teaches. What Jesus is speaking to is the potential that this man's disability came into his life because of some choices that have happened earlier in his life. We call those consequences. They're just consequences. Made wrong decision. It ended up costing him in ways that he could never imagine. But now Jesus has made him well. He can stand and goes back to his life. And Jesus is saying, hey, let's not relapse. Let's not go back to chasing the identity you had before all this. Let's chase the identity that I gave you in eternity for who you were created to be. And so this question becomes, what's something worse that could happen? It's not his relapse. It's not that he'd go back to being disabled. It'd be that God has given him a gift to not only have his, his ability to stand and walk again, but to live out the true identity of who God had created him to be, to live as a testimony of the work of God, to be the expression of freedom that Jesus gives each and every one of us when we live in obedience to who God has called us to be. Ultimately, this man finds something greater than just walking, something greater than just being fixed. He finds his identity, his dependency, his longing in life to be a life of obedience back to God. Friends, I'm just going to say this. Trusting Jesus is how we overcome addiction and find healing. And it's not necessarily on our own. We have people in this room that should journey with us and help us. But the only dependency of our life that truly matters is our dependency on Jesus. So let me speak to a couple people in this room. Can I do that? Let me speak to any of us who have had a 
an incredible dependency or an addiction. Let me say this. Friends, you are loved by God. You are not loved more if you get clean. You are not loved less if you relapse. You are, we are loved by God, period. Nothing changes the amount of love that God has for you. How much love does God have? So much that he came in the and the person is Jesus. He surrendered his life to death. He destroyed himself so that we might have victory through the cross. And God loves us just as we are. And he desires to make us well. Jesus recognizes that we are all prone to sin. That's why he gave himself. That's why he died on the cross for us. He poured out his own blood on the cross that we might be free from the power of sin and death. It is in his death that we find victory. It is in his resurrection that we find hope. We are not enslaved to our dependency. We are created to be free. Our identity is not our sin and not our addiction. Our reality is, one, is not one of hopelessness or despair because we are overcomers. We are loved by God, we are forgiven by God, and we are restored through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Galatians says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And that's who we are. That's who we are. That's our identity. Doesn't it sound like the freedom that we want? The ability to stand firm, to quit being stuck, whether it's through a bottle, a substance, or our finances, don't we want to stand before God and be made well? But the challenge, the challenge is, are we willing to take the steps to do that? Now, in addiction and recovery, the conversation tends to go around 12 steps of recovery. And you can do some research on this, and, but if you were to summarize them, Specifically, here's a few steps that we would have to take if we were going to find healing. And the first is this. We have to admit that we are powerless over our addiction. If we could overcome it by ourselves, we would have. If we could change it by ourselves, we would have. I remember sitting with my doctor after he said that statement. Danny, are you addicted to food? I've been thinking about it for years now. Is that really my addiction? And the answer is no. Food is a means to an end to cope with my addiction. Well, then what is my addiction? My addiction is that I am more concerned about pleasing people than I am pleasing God. I am more concerned about how I might be seen if I'm not pastoral enough, not godly enough, not funny enough, not cool enough, whatever, you know. I feel like a Chris Farley pastor, right? I sweat too much, I talk too much, you know, I'm, I'm that guy, right? And if I, don't, if I don't win your affection, then I lose my value. 
Every student in the room was hoping that graduating high school would fix that, right? The only thing that fixes it is Jesus. And the worst thing that would happen for me is that I would allow my life, I would allow my family, and I would allow my ministry and my leadership to be dictated by the applause of man over the applause of God. So I have to stop sinning. Now, do I care about you? Absolutely. Do I enjoy our nice conversations and compliments and challenging conversations? Absolutely. But friends, it's for God and God alone why we live our lives. That's who we're called to be. Admit that we are powerless over our addiction, which means, second of all, we have to turn our lives over to God. There is a life of surrender that needs to happen. Surrender and, 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 and repentance. I'm powerless. God, I have wronged you. Change me. But the last step is perhaps the scariest. It's to confess our struggle and our sin to God and one another. Friends, I don't, I don't enjoy standing in front of people and telling them my weaknesses. But I'm not, I'm not embarrassed anymore. My identity is not who I was. It's not what I do. It's not how I look. But I share my failures and struggles and victories because I think we need to understand it is God at work among us. And we cannot. We cannot create a safe space for people to come into this room or into our lives or into our church struggling with brokenness and sexuality and racial prejudice and all sorts of prejudice and addictions if we ourselves are not able to be brave enough to stand in moments and admit, I am one of those people. And I thank God every day that while I am one of those people, that's not who I am for eternity. God's at work. God's changing us. And every one of these 12 steps sort of help us in our dependency and our addiction, but they're all intended to lead us to a closer relationship with Jesus. Let me speak to the other people in the room. Let me speak to those of us who need to journey with others who may be addicted. Galatians 6 says some pretty encouraging words that I think we need to understand. It says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught... Someone is caught in sin. You who live by the Spirit, meaning God's Spirit, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. That word caught is not like, oop, caught you on picture, right? Got you on my camera, right? It's the idea of an animal that has been caught in a snare and can't break loose. It's exposed, it's caught. It will eventually die. Paul reminds the Galatians that for those of us that maybe not stuck in addiction or not stuck in a sin, that our job is not to exploit and point and condemn, but ours is to come and help bring healing to them. Remember last week or two weeks ago when 
when Caleb Kaltenbach spoke to us, he said, you know, here's what we need to do. We need to be reminded of the rubber band, right? That was the illustration. That a rubber band only has its power when it has tension. That a rubber band without tension has no power to it. That we all need to live in the tension of love, that that's who we are as Christ followers. Because if we only live in grace, there's no power in that. If we only live in truth, there's no power in that. If we only live in this idea of everybody's just going to do whatever they want, but we never lead them to the truth, there's no power in that. If if all we do is condemn and point and criticize, but we never empathize and lead with grace, there's no power in that. So we have to live in the tension. And Christians do that all the time, right? We live in the tension of, of God. Being one, yet three. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. We, we believe in Jesus, fully God and fully man. There's, there's tension. So why can't we as Christ followers live in the tension of love, understanding that we must become people of grace and truth? To be able to love people as they are, but lead them to who God has created them to be. First Christian Church is going through just kind of a a transformation right now in its identity in a lot of ways. It's always been a great place of faith. It's always been a great place of love. But in the last few moments, it seems like God has stirred up some new views on the horizon of where God wants to challenge us and take us, wants to lead us. And we need to be a people that are full of love with grace and truth, that we would be a brave space not just a safe space, that we would be the kind of people that would not pull our fingers out first to point at everybody's wrong, but we would open our arms in love to embrace people as they are and then begin to walk with them as they go through their struggles. Now, there's so much more to talk about with that. Appropriateness, boundaries. And if you've got a loved one in your life that battles addiction, You know there are probably times that you've enabled and there are times that maybe you cut people off too quickly. It's going to get messy. But as a church, we're sticking a flag in the ground to say we're okay with being messy. We're okay if people come in who are really messy and want to be our friends and want to hear about Jesus Because every one of us, outside of the blood of Jesus Christ washing us all clean, find ourselves covered in our own filth. Amen? Yeah. So let's move to our time of response. I think today, obviously, is a heavy day, as we would call it, right? And I think the greatest concern I have about a message like this is that what happens if someone needs real help and will we be the kind of people to walk with them? You know, I, uh, I miss it sometimes as a person, not even as a pastor, just as a person. Sometimes my heart is hardened. Sometimes I'm exhausted. Sometimes I'm tired of going to my own kids' events and I just want to go watch some TV. 
And when that happens, and I hear a message like this, the first thing I hear is, well, what about me? What about me? Friends, I'm, I'm sorry if you've been overlooked, if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded. I'm sorry if one of us has done it. I used to live in that posture a lot. I used to wonder why nobody saw what I was going through or what I was. And you know what? The greatest obstacle to me getting well was getting over myself. See, if we call ourselves Christ followers, disciples, students of Jesus, then every one of us, our identity should not be in our money, our belongings, our popularity, or a bottle, or a sexuality, or our color of our skin. Our dependency, our identity should be rooted in Jesus and Jesus alone. And because of that, as a Christian, I have two responsibilities. One, to either submit my life so that I can get well and Jesus can make me whole, and then in doing so, be an agent of grace and truth in the world around us. And so maybe there are some of us in this room today that need to grab the connect card that's in front of them, and we need to start with that first step. Am I wanting to get well? Do I want to get my, my finances right, my marriage right? Do I want to get uh, this, this addiction to the bottle over? Uh, maybe it's not finances. Maybe it's not your marriage. Maybe it's not some sort of substance. Maybe it's control. Maybe you're a person that's always got to be in charge, and you are addicted controlling everything. What would it look like for you to surrender your life before God today and say, God, break this addiction of me. Break this addiction of others. Break this addiction of what? God, break it and make me only dependent on you. And then for the rest of us, Maybe the ones of us that have been taking this journey for a while, may we be the ones to say, I don't know everything, but if we follow Jesus in this, we, we might help people find what they need. Let's go do that. Find your friends, find your family. Let them know that the scars that they bear and the wounds that they have and the mess that they're covered in, you've been there too but it's only in the dependency of Jesus. By trusting him, will we have, find the freedom that God's intended for us. Friends, I want to encourage you to stand. Can you do that right now? We're going to respond as the music begins to play. Some of us are going to come to these prayer benches, and as Dr. Teal said last week, it's, it's doing business. That's what we do. We do business with God, and maybe today we come to these prayer benches to say thank you or to confess something or change, but this is what we're going to do. Many of us will go to these tables. There are six of them around the room where a candle is on them, and we have this bread and this juice. We eat the bread and drink the juice. It's an open invitation to anyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, who has surrendered their life and said, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that's what saved me. We eat that bread and we drink that juice because we're reminded this was his body, this was his blood 
poured out for us, broken for us, that we might have new life. And then maybe there's a connection card, connect card that you filled out asking for help. Or maybe today you take that connect card and you write a name on it of somebody you want us to pray for who needs help. Because I think God wants not only to transform us, but God probably has somebody within arm's reach of us that he wants in our pool. As we go to these given respond boxes to put in our connect cards, we also have a chance to give of our tithes and offerings. And I'm just gonna say this. When it comes to dependency in America and obedience towards God, oftentimes the wallet is uncomfortable. We're not found by our, our identity is not in our wallet. And we don't ask for money because we want you to help us keep the lights on or do, we do ministries, we do want the lights on. But when every one of us learn how to be obedient, even in the smallest of things, we are grown to a wholeness, to a wellness. And so I wanna challenge you as a church. When we talk about money, if it hurts, do you need to ask the question today, is it part of your dependency? What would it look like even today to surrender, to pull out the Give app, G-Y-V-E, to sign up today and make a commitment that regularly you would support the mission of what God's doing through this local church? Whatever our dependency may be, be it bottle, be it people, be it a behavior, be it control, be it our wallets. Our identity was only and ever intended to be built on Jesus. So let's put him in his rightful place as the king of our lives, the ruler of our hearts. Let's respond.